So the big question is this. How do entrepreneurial salespeople like us, who have traditionally sold alone and used gut and intuition to hit their numbers, take their innate talents and begin selling using science, technology, and the secrets of thousands who have done it before to crush their quota and change the world? That is the question, and this podcast provides the answers. Welcome, everybody, to today's event. We're so excited for you to join us here at the Sales Enablement Virtual Event at armyofsalesreps.com. We have two special guests to help kick off this session, um, and who better to do that than our friend Tamara Shank, the research director at CSO Insights or the research division of Miller-Hyman Group, and then Scott Santucci, president and chief growth catalyst at Growth Enablement Ecosystems and also the founder of the Sales Enablement Society. Tamara and Scott, thanks so much for joining, and how are you? Fantastic. Doing fine. Thank <laughs> well, you. Yeah, appreciate you joining. <laughs> Thanks for a fun, having me. A fun event. I think this will be a great conversation to kick off. As I said, we've got a lot of people tuning in, hundreds in this session as we speak. Want to see if we can lay the foundation of sales enablement, and you two are pioneers in that. Um, but before we do, maybe you can each just take a quick intro, a quick minute, and tell us just a little bit about you. Tamara, do you mind starting? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you already introduced me um, perfectly. So in my role at CSO Insights, I'm focused on all things sales enablement. And we're currently conducting our fourth annual global sales enablement um, study. And uh, since May, um, the book I co-authored with Byron Matthews is on the market about sales enablement, of course, a master framework to engage, equip, and empower a world-class sales force. And before I became an analyst, it's now four years ago, um, I was IT Systems, um, a Deutsche Telekom company, the IT services company of Deutsche Telekom. And um, it was 2008, 9, 10 when I started to get aware of the term sales enablement. At this time, um, I had a business development role for an industry. And in parallel, um, I was co-leading the restructuring of our sales force. And I started to look at the question, how do we actually enable our sales force to achieve higher goal to best people? And I learned that there was <laughs> not a lot <laughs> to find. But oh what heavens. I could find was that we had, for instance, content at 35 different places. And then talking to our most successful uh, sales professionals, oh, we didn't even know about it. We didn't use a single one. <laughs> so you could see there was a lot to do. And um, so... We simply started where we had a senior executive sponsor at this time in the content portfolio area. And in 2010, <laughs> I met Scott, um, <laughs> which joined me on this journey for uh, the next four years. And yeah, I had the pleasure during uh, this time to, to evolve the topic really from an idea to a program, to a function, to a strategic global function, reporting then to the SCP Global Sales Ops. Wow. So it was quite a journey, wow. and I could uh, experience all the different facets of sales enablement. Oh, I appreciate the story. <laughs> so you've really experienced the 
the good and the bad of sales enablement. <laughs> uh, the bad being, I guess you said 2010. And the pain that comes with it. <laughs> that's right. It was 2010, you said, where you kind of started to look for answers mm-hmm. and couldn't find them. So it's been... Yeah. It's been a while, and I want to talk about yeah, how far we've come in, in just a minute. So, tomorrow, thanks for the quick intro. Scott, over to you. Can you explain just a little bit of your story? Sure. Uh, so, I actually – my story begins maybe in the, the late 90s. I was tapped on the shoulder. Uh, I, was a, uh, I was our company's top rep. And, uh, well, <laughs> uh, I had some issues with our marketing department. <laughs> and I voiced, uh, I, I voiced them. I made a case for uh, basically how we could be better supported in the field to our CFO. Our CFO invited me to our executive committee meeting at the time. And lo and behold, I got a job, a brand new job. Uh, the title was the VP of product marketing and management. Uh, but ultimately, you know, we didn't have the, the term sales enablement there. But ultimately, that's what it was about. Which was, Interesting combining our various products and services into ways to engage and then the, the content required to, uh, to do that engagement. Wow. Uh, I've, since then, I've been a VP of sales and marketing. Uh, I started the sales enablement research group at Forrester Research. Uh, that was in 2008. That's how I met uh, Tamara. I left there and uh, went into the world of management consulting. I founded the Sales Enablement Society, and today I, uh, I've started my own firm this year, uh, Growth Enablement Ecosystems. Wow. Along the way, I've probably engaged with, um, you know, done a lot of research with buyers, executive level buyers, 1,500 of them, uh, as a matter of fact, both surveys and, and interviews. Uh, we've had the opportunity to interview CEOs with, uh, with my CEO at Forrester, CFOs, VPs of sales, CMOs really from a tops down perspective. So I have a, a, a great blend of, uh, of perspectives and somehow um, looking at sales enablement strategically has become controversial recently. And I think that's crazy. <laughs> so wow. interesting to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into a couple of those topics. You talked a little bit about enablement and product marketing and then the controversial point we'll have to hear about in just a minute. Um but uh, I, I got to admit, for the audience, again, Tamara and, and Scott, two absolute thought leaders. I think this session is going to be fantastic. So let's dive into it. I mean, you guys just started um, just the tip, tippy of the iceberg there. But I just wanted to say, you know, did you ever think we'd actually be here? You both started kind of pioneering this concept years ago. You've done a lot of work to establish sales enablement as a credible function in a company. The journey's been amazing, but when you both kind of set off on this journey, I just want to get your thoughts. Did you actually think you'd end here with uh, founding an organization, bringing people together, um, et cetera, et cetera? Scott, just quick thoughts on that, or did did, did you actually think we'd, we'd get here, or did you just kind of start it and and try to figure it out back then? Well, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot to that question. So the first one is where actually is here? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. I don't want to Fair. get metaphysical, but I, I think the, the the heart of it is um, you know would we have a lot of the, these people around the movement? I don't I don't know if I really think that that way. Uh, hmm. the, the whole sales and I miss. Uh, society started just by trying to get people locally together because uh, you know I think. Not, I think I know Tamara would agree with that. You have to get people talking about this because it's such a complex topic. If you put your head in the sand and avoid the complexity, you're going to miss the mark of making it simple for folks. So there's this really big yin and yang between, um, you know, who do you make things simple for? 
So I, I don't really, I, I just really couldn't have expected that starting from a local meetup group in DC two years ago to have 5,000, there's 5,000 people involved in the sales <laughs> of the society, okay? wow. 15 countries never would wow. have expected that. So wow. I think wow. it, it goes to show that there's a need, there's a big need. Important thing is there's a need to have conversations about it. So thank you for uh, kicking us off there and doing this virtually at scale. No, no. I, I again, hope happy to add to the to the fun. Tamara, what would you add to that? I know you again started in a little different place, but did you think you'd get a book mm-hmm. out? Do you think you'd be thought as a thought leader? And to Scott's point, have a group of people who were anxious, five thousand plus, who were anxious to gather to learn best practices. No, not um, not in the beginning. Definitely not. Um, <clears throat> when I look back at this journey, it was you know you begin to solve. A problem you think is an isolated problem, and then you discover it is not. It is all connected <laughs> to many different everything. things. So you start in the content part, and you organize that and manage that. You see, oh, actually, it's in the content. The yeah. problem is not just how we provide it. So yeah. then you start to fix that. You work with value messaging, and you connect the related training together. So you're okay. We're getting better at that. Mm. We are still far away from impacting the pipeline. So you're saying, okay, we're actually in the wrong place in the company. So we have to be in sales. We have to do things right. This is how we work a lot together. Scott and I at this point, how to, um, you know, evolve the function and how to create a business case so that we could move the whole thing into the sales force. And then, then all of a sudden, um, I got another executive sponsor who was really focused on that, and he liked the idea that there was somebody who could connect the dots between all these different training parts, all these different yeah. content and technology parts, and who had an idea how to bring that together on a, on a sales process level and all these different things. And it became bigger and bigger, and it changed from doing different things to orchestrating the whole landscape. And I think that is one of the most important things for enablement leaders to understand, it's actually not about doing different things. It's about having the big picture and orchestrating all these different services along the customer's journey. And that was all in my experience, the biggest challenge to help others to see we have to approach it from the outside to the inside. We have to think about it from a customer's path or customer's journey perspective backwards. And that is so very difficult. You know, it sounds simple. My God, everybody wants to be customer centric and we are. And then we will look deeper at it. We are not at all. We're not even talking about that. And then and then you see, you know, when I look back at orchestrating these different functions, it is only sales and marketing, what we see in our research, sales enablement has to collaborate with almost every other function right, in the company. Right. So, and the marketing relationship is actually not, not the worst one. <laughs> there are others that have to be improved. So it's way more than that. And you have to formalize that. You also have to come up with a process landscape. How do we produce enablement services in a scalable and effective way at the same time? Um, so that gets a different notion than being a learning expert or being an expert or being a content expert mm. or being a tech expert. It's more uh, how do we orchestrate all these different things to to create something that's bigger than a, a single enablement service. So oh, wow. this perspective, really, we had to go through that. And when I look back at um, what we experienced at T-Systems, you know, in the last year from when I was there, it was so, hey, 
we actually missed the whole group of people, a key group with sales managers. <laughs> so from today's perspective, I would start way earlier with the sales managers to help develop their coaching skills. Yeah. Because that has such a big impact. What I now see year over year in our research is actually the biggest, it, it, it's the most effective enablement service. Um, Coaching. And it drives adoption reinforcement of your initial enablement services. So that you cannot see that in the beginning. You have to go through it, you have to experience it. And I think that's what we can help others to see, to see things earlier and to create a framework mm -hmm. that helps mm -hmm. them to be more effective earlier. Yeah, I think one of the things I like about you two is you've both been in the trenches, right? You've actually both been in enablement or enablement type roles and so can absolutely speak from experience. I think one thing we need to probably lay the foundation on, and you two have been, again, pioneering at this, and that is just understanding really what sales enablement is and the definition of what enablement is. And, and it probably is a good place for some of those who are new, who are tuning in, just to lay that foundation so we're on the same page, what it is and why it's so important. Scott, I know you've done a lot of work on literally to putting the definition in place, and there's been some controversy around the concept. Maybe you can start and try to speak to both the definition and a little bit of the controversy. Well, I have a picture here. <laughs> it's, I, I like to break things down, former analysts. So we have what's sales and then what's enablement. And... It becomes a lot of conversations with folks. And worrying about the definition, it's uh, let's concentrate on a box or a scope. Yeah. To, uh, so when you think about sales, are you thinking about improving the performance of an individual salesperson? Is that yeah. sales? Is sales the performance of a person over a whole year? Is sales the performance of a sales manager's team? Is sales the performance of a specific sales region? Is sales the, the, the function, the whole uh, function, including sales ops and uh, sales engineers and all of that? Or is sales bookings? For me, mm. sales mm. is bookings. And sales is the bookings that ultimately turn into revenue after all the accounting issues and everything like that. Get, get factored in. <laughs> Fair. So that's the first bucket. Uh, that's my perspective try to advocate other people can look differently but i think step number one for uh, for anybody to be successful in this field know what your scope is my scope is bookings and revenue yeah. that doesn't mean it needs to be everybody else's the second question is enablement what do you mean by that there's basically two philosophies of how to help people one philosophy stuff for you the other philosophy is I'm going to, you know, the, the teach the teach somebody to fish and then they can feed their family, give somebody a fish and, you know, they're kind of hooked on you. Uh, I'm of the teach people to fish. And to me, enablement is on revenue or bookings. Then the enablement part is how do we streamline the entire supply chain behind the revenue generating activities? And when you look at it that way, uh, the best thing that we can do to re uh, enable is to. And I love what uh, Tamara said earlier on. You have to have a design and a structure to design out all the comple complexity. Hmm. Um, what happens today is you have you can have as many as 40, 40 different people creating things to help sales. Oh, and when forty things that forty things that get created by forty different people with their own lens of what sales needs, it's just overwhelming to an individual salesperson. 
There is no design at the point of sale. There's no design at the point of uh, a conversation. And another thing I agree, you're going to hear an agreement love fest during this call uh, (laughs) with everything Tamara says. Another thing I agree with is uh, the fundamental design point is we're not really clear on what the content our customers require because we want to build stuff about us and about our products and our customers don't care anymore. So what we need to do is sales enablement to me to sum it up is it's about enabling more by generating more bookings. So that's the sales part. And that's enabled by making sure that you have identified the right types of customers, understand what kind of relationship and and information that they require with you. You model out or you map that model of, of who those customers, you map out all of the me- messaging and packaging uh, and value propositions to that customer, and they match the right salespeople, the right uh, sales engagement, the right sales strategies, the right training strategies, the right, uh, the right tools to those modeled set of customers. That's, that's what it is to me. Got it. No, I love it. Uh, Tamara, what would you add to that? Um, or what points would you highlight? Um, yeah, so we, um, in general, we'll call it specifically Salesforce enablement. So we mean definitely the Salesforce and uh, to be more specific, all customer-facing roles and their managers. And that can cover, again, along the customer's journey from business development to sales to service. Because revenue comes not always from sales. It can come from, from different places as well. So the focus that's, um, I think, important, and then Scott covered and what he pointed out, it's strategic, it's collaborative. We call it a discipline. It comes in different forms and shapes, also depending on the maturity level of the organization. It is designed, so the important question also, why are we doing this? It's designed to increase um, predictable sales results, whatever that is for a company. Of course, revenue is included. And by providing consistent and scalable enablement service, I think that's an important point as well. Um, it allows to have all the customer-facing professionals and their managers to have valuable, relevant, and differentiating interactions. Got it. Interesting. Do you and that think- connects the dots to to the buyer um, data, as Scott mentioned. Um, and I've completely agreed. It is absolutely important to look at the buyers first. So we did this year our first buyer study, look at 500 executive buyers globally. And it's just really important to work backwards from what is it they want, what do they observe, how do they want to engage uh, with a vendor organization at the different stages of their customer's path. Hmm. So it's really important to start from there. Interesting. Do you guys feel like, I mean, Scott, you mentioned controversy just a little bit. Um, if you can highlight that, what, what's been the controversy around enablement as you guys have really get, got this kind of kickstarted? I think there's a, a couple dimensions of it. I think number one is a lot of people get tapped on the shoulder uh, to fix broken things. Yeah. And with that sense of urgency and lack of clarity, there's a massive resistance to anything that's strategic. Um, the words uh, it's, that's theoretical and it's just rejected flat out. Um, I, that's a big thing. So I hear a lot of conversations about rejection of theory and not a lot of questions about, well, how, why am I a department that has one person doing it? How can I learn from the people that have 500 people doing it? Right. 
that that's one area. I think another area is the um, an area of contention is the definition. Um, no matter what, and that's why I, I sort of deflected a little bit on saying there isn't really a standard definition. Because frankly, what I found is that people try to define it for themselves to tell their family what they do. Yeah, that's right. one thing. Uh, another thing is how do I explain it to the rest of the organization? And guess what? Everybody's going to look at it differently inside your organization. If you yeah. don't get your own view of it, you can't shop it internally. So yeah. the internal selling of this emerging role is really important. And all you have to do really to figure that out is go back maybe 10 years ago and ask uh, former brand executives what, uh, you know, what they had to deal with with advertising. Everybody's an expert on what a great ad is. No <laughs> one has any idea what the purpose of it is or what the metrics are, et cetera. So in a lot of ways, sales enablement is, is like that. You have, to, you have to really make that concept resonate with a lot of folks. And unfortunately, you can't do that without a strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I've liked that. I, I mean, I've, wa- I've followed you, Scott, and I feel like rather than forcing everybody in, you know, one direction, I feel like you have been loose to help people try to find their own path and something that does resonate to them. So I can appreciate that approach. Uh, I want to get into kind of two quick tactical questions. One is um, just actually deploying an effective sales enablement model. And uh, tomorrow I'm thinking about your book um, that I'd picked up recently um, and read through it. And I was fascinated by this concept of the Salesforce enablement clarity model that you talked about. It it really w- was designed, if I understood it right, to kind of bring a common focus and alignment to this whole enablement process. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but as companies think about deploying enablement, uh, maybe, can you explain the structure briefly and how you would guide people mm-hmm. to start thinking about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, just one thought to, to the definition. I completely agree with what you both said. An organization has to find their own perspective on it. But in order to get there, if you can look what's around, how others define it, how others look at it, how the industry is looking at it, it helps you to create this frame of reference for your organization, what's right at this point in time at a certain maturity level. So a definition can only do one thing, to get a few people on the same page, but it right. doesn't help you to implement enablement in any way. So therefore you need you need a framework that helps you better to do that. And I know Scott has created a couple of frameworks um, um, earlier as well to help organizations to do that. Hmm. So the clarity model, we look at it as, you know, Scott, you mentioned that there are so many people in an organization uh, who want to help sales, and they all to do it from their own perspective. And that creates a lot of confusion for the sales force. And it ends up in a certain reality that they simply use what they always use, what's on their laptop, what worked last week, or what the colleague um, <laughs> used uh, during the last meeting. So um, in order to orchestrate that, it's it, First of all, important to see, okay, well, what's out there? And then uh, to consider this as a rough diamond. So there is a lot of good things already existing in an organization, but there are also a lot of things you actually don't need. And we don't talk enough about what do we stop doing? What do we actually stop doing? This this is this picture. Come from a rough diamond and look at a cut and polished diamond. And it means if you want to cut your diamond and you have to polish it, you have to have a vision and a strategy before you cut and you have to know what you right, cut. Right. And that's the idea of 
getting the design point right, working backwards from the customer path to uh, create a foundation that's built on a vision and a strategy and ideally a formalized enablement charter that simply defines what is my scope at the current stage in this company, what are our goals, what do we need to achieve with enablement right now. Um, but having this bigger vision in place so that we know what are we working um, towards. And then there are different facets. What is my target audience right now? Do I provide my services for salespeople, for their managers, for a channel, for service personnel, or whatever my scope is? And then I look at um, the facets in the middle. So there is one green facet, that's the facet of enablement services. That's what your audience actually sees from you is that piece of content, is that a tool, is that a certain training service in whatever modality, is that a coaching service, whatever that is. And then all the other facets are actually the inner workings of sales enablement. Mm. Uh, what do I need to do as an enablement leader to run this? I need to organize my cross-function collaboration in one way or another, at least role-based. Who's doing what yeah. um, for playbook, for a training service, for whatever, for um my enablement content platform um, as an example. Hmm. And then I need, of course, to think about technology, um, enablement content solutions, learning solutions, training solutions, coaching tools, empowered by AI, ideally integrated into the CRM so that's all in one workflow for salespeople. And then uh, I also think about what we call enablement operations. How do I run this function in a cost-efficient way and also in a scalable way, what is my governance model for enablement? Uh, how do I engage my senior executives? How do, can I report progress and also make strategic decisions happen? Um, how do I set up a process that I can produce and deliver consistent enablement services? And very important, how do I measure success? Yeah. And it also depends on the different phases. Where am I in my organization with enablement? How I can actually measure success? Yeah, interesting. I love, I, I loved kind of just the framework to start asking yourself those types of questions as you think about deploying something that is aligned, is effective. Scott, you've obviously coached hundreds of organizations through the actual alignment, through the deploying of a model of a process. Thoughts from you on just thinking how organizations can start thinking about that kind of deployment of a model? Sure. Uh, so I wanted to have some visual aids. So uh oh, this here one, we go. Here's a picture. Sorry, it's a top hat. It's the only <laughs> way that I can sort of envision uh, a buyer, like a monopoly. I wanted to draw the monocle and everything. There's the right. money. What we have to do is we have to realize that our buyers aren't homogeneous. There's actually, just like us as, as buyers, uh, Gabe, if you were going to go put a addition on your house, you right. wouldn't just go on uh, Google and find the lowest cost provider, right? And in the checkout line... Um, or if you go to Costco, if you're like me, I'm just pulled to that buy two, get 16 free. <laughs> so what we're talking about is completely different perceptions of value. And I'm making this super simple. The first part is, do your customers not know what the heck they want? Or do they absolutely know what they want? And if they absolutely know what they want, guess what? You are in a highly competitive environment, and it's going to be price-driven, period, accept it. To yeah. figure out a way to streamline your sales model that way. If they don't know what they want, don't try to you know, mix and match and throw 8 million different salespeople at it either because you're not helping them configure it. Hmm. So then when you realize what is our pattern that we're after, everything is different. 
your sales model, your marketing model, everything. So the first goal is to align that. But then the, the way to get uh, real measurable results, um, so this is a little bit busier, but this says customer verifiable outcomes. I uh, am math oriented. And the thing that I love to do is I think that we're measuring way, 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 way too many things. I worked uh, with a, a client on one of their cloud strategies measuring 2,187 different uh, <laughs> metrics associated with sales. Wow. I love it. I love it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's insane. Can you do some more? <laughs> That's insane. But this is what is. we're doing to ourselves. Right? Yeah. Let's go and look at any company. And I want any company that's got a sales operations group to really do an honest look at what metrics you're providing out there and ask yourself why. Yeah. For me, the way to get started uh, of moving this is I love what, what Tamara said earlier on about uh, focusing on the pipeline. What these graphics are is a, a, a way to start out. So once you figure out what you're trying to sell, then, the, then what we need to do is we not isolate where can we add value. So the first one is, the, it, it, it's P, the first is P, the, our target population. Do we know who our right audience is? Yep. Um, very few companies, Gabe, is shocking, actually can say this specifically is our economic buyer and can name a role. Yeah. We talk about personas in general, but it's, it, we have, there actually has to be a buyer. Yeah. And then the second thing then is, okay, now that we know that, then that's great. Then at least the messaging that we get, go has a voice. Then the second part then, do we agree, does that buyer agree to meet with us? Our customers vote not only with their, with their time. And if we don't have very targeted techniques to compete with all the noise out there to get our targeted buyer to spend time with us, we can't get on first base. So that's a yeah. yes or no. Did they did did Gabe agree to meet meet with me or not? Yeah. The yeah. next part then is did we have a successful meet? How do we measure binarily whether we meeting or well, Gabe says, Scott, I'm willing to explore that with you. Yeah. Verifiable, yes or no. And the next one is uh Gabe gonna have to buy in to what I'm talking about, uh, or else you you're you can't buy it. It's not because right. you agree or disagree, it's you have to get your team to buy into it. Oh, the next step is that that shared vision stage. Our team buys into it. Scott, everybody's excited. Let's let's move on to our next stage to figure out what our business agreement would look like. And then that's the last one is the business case where you say, yeah, let's do it or not. In each one of those buckets, when you look at a pipeline that way, you can verify it very quickly. But what I'm finding is the sales that are, everybody wants to go after this person here because that's the most profitable one. Yep. You know, look at pipelines here. They don't look like funnels. They look like boa constrictors that have eaten a pig. Most are stuck <laughs> here. Interesting. Because we cannot, uh, we, we just don't have the tools to help people get, help your stakeholder, you, Gabe, get the buy-in of all the people inside your, your organization. Yeah. So yeah, I think that the point is really break it down into something simple right, so you can measure it. Don't try to go galactic and sign up for what the, the VP of sales wants because it's not going to be precise enough. And uh, ultimately, you're going to get blamed for that failure. Your first yeah. step forward has to be successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel like, I mean, you mentioned the VP of sales, Scott, and I felt like this came up just as you were introducing it, working with 
um, product marketing. There's obviously a lot of operational elements. As people think about structuring sales enablement, any tips or advice? Should it roll into to the VP of sales? Should it roll more into the operational side of the business? Should we make sure that we have a coaching enablement and an ops or an analytics role? Or Any advice on the structure of a successful enablement function? I Maybe. think... Scott, I think, let's start with you. Yeah, I think uh, T- Tamara will be better at uh, addressing that. I want to make sure that this point gets gets out there. W- when we start talking about structure, what happens is I see people paralyzed and think they can't do anything. Let's start yeah. with you can do something right now. Yeah. If you're in product market, absolutely own the fact that you need to make who your buyer is clear. Get out of the idea of a persona and say these are the targeted roles and map out. Who is the decision maker? Who's the who's the person that's going to uh, approve the the wallet uh, yeah. and spend? You can do that. You can also, as a product marketer, move away from say uh, the che- the product launch checklist and come up with a different kind of checklist. Maybe a go to customer checklist instead of a a, a product based checklist. Hmm. You can challenge internally and say, "Hey, is my role product marketing? Is that good, or should I be?" you know, whoever our buyer is, you know, buyer advocacy is, is maybe what, what my role should be. There's a lot of things you can do. Um, and that's just coming from a marketing standpoint. You can go through that checklist anywhere. There's, if you look at this, there's millions of things any one person can do to start making it simple today. Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't want to get in the business of saying, you know, where it should, where it should reside or not. You'll decide where it should reside once you start making success which is what Tamara did. She started yeah. getting success and she made her own, uh, her own mark. That's why I think it's better for her to answer uh, more of this question. <laughs> no, I love that though. I mean, let's be results focused. Sometimes it's ready, fire, you know, ready, aim, fire. And sometimes, you know, it should be, you know, ready, fire, aim. It, l- let's be more results focused. Tamara, you've obviously been in, in kind of the n- nitty gritty of it. Any coaching you'd provide on structure or thinking about that? Yeah, first of all, when you begin with it, I would not worry about the structure and, and where you are. So, I mean, I literally was not even aware of what I was doing. But I said there was a problem we have to fix. And I <laughs> was uh, I found myself in the portfolio department. <laughs> it was very strange at this time, uh, reporting to the SVP uh, portfolio management. In, in, in this person had a big challenge to organize. Uh, a, a new product portfolio for an IT services company right, that came right. from we all sell individual stuff. So the reason for being there was there was an executive sponsor, there was budget, there was attention and priority. And when you have these ingredients, then stay there and 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 start to move the needle from there. There is no right or wrong where it gets started. It's more important. What's the problem you want to solve and what's the division um, you, you want to get to? And then you see as you move forward what needs to be added, what needs to be changed. And then there were mm-hmm. at a certain point when the stakeholder simpler said, no, my role is portfolio. If you want to right. do a bigger thing, it's not me. So we know this because <laughs> when it happened. So it's not me because this is my bracket and, and sales is over here. I guess it's, it's a bigger picture, but that's not me. So it is a sense. Uh, and I started, look, how do, um, how can we move that into sales? So other organizations that begin with content issues start usually in marketing. It's yeah. usually not, um, the, um, 
yeah, the area in an organization where sales enablement remains when it gets more uh, strategic and it covers small things. So what we see now uh, at Sales Insights in the data is sales enablement is in sales. It's now for four years in a row. It's a very strong data point. It's between 60 and 70 percent report to executive sales management. So with smaller organizations report more to executive sales management, larger organizations have a bigger portion of enablement teams that report into sales ops. Hmm. Um, however, the, the relevance of sales ops um, is a bit decreasing. It's now more often seen at enablement operations where there's two sides of the same coin. So one yeah. part is actually providing the foundation and it's designing a selling system and the other one are enabling then all the resources that should create um, in the business. Um, and then that's how I would ideally see nowadays. But usually you don't start there. But having yeah. the vision, this is what we want to do. This is a way to get there. And we also see a few organizations that have um, enabled reporting into operations roles, into a COO roles, or also yeah. into CX roles. Right. So if you think this customer path thinking forward, then you could definitely say, okay, a customer experience role that looks at the customer experience we create for all our relevant buyers along their customer path, that could also be a good place. What I would always suggest is look for a place that has a more strategic long-term business focus. Hmm. If you report into a function that is simply focused on operational efficiency, that's probably not the right place. Um, for enablement to be because simply whatever we do it's not moving the needle this quarter it takes some time until we see the results yeah 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 so it it, there is a lot that potentially goes into that different functions different Mm -hmm. size of companies Mm -hmm. etc um i want to slowly move to kind of the, the wrap here but i wanted to end with this question um this idea of where are we going from here? A lot of talk about artificial intelligence, sales enablement obviously uses a lot of tools. Um, it's an emerging function. Um, Scott, maybe we can start with you. Where, where do you see or how do you see sales enablement changing in the next five years? I think what we're going to see is over the next five years, we're going to see a big sorting out. Uh, so just like the meteor hit the, the the planet in 60 million years and it wiped out the dinosaurs, and then, thank God, the, the little furry creatures evolved and we evolved with it, the mammals came, we're going to see the same sort of sorting out except in a highly, highly, highly compressed state. What we are in right now is a state of, you mentioned technology, way, way, way massive overhype. We've We've had... In 2008, there were a hundred sales and ena- people who were doing sales enablement that were trying to brief me at Forrester. Today, depending on who you talk to, there's over 3,500 different suppliers that say they're doing oh. some version of it. That is massive, massive, massive growth, and it creates a lot of noise and a lot of confusion. Wow. Unfortunately, the 96, 98% of those 3,500 firms aren't going to make it. They're going to die off. And they're going to go through massive extinction events, but they're not going to go out quietly. They're going to go out with more noise. So (laughs) what we have to do is we have to take a lot of this technology with a grain of salt. Technology only exists to help out. So technology enables a process. If you enable a crappy process, you're going to get a crappy outcome. 
So what what I what I see that's going to happen is we're going to start hopefully move to conversations about what works, not what people's best practices are, and start challenging uh, challenging folks hmm. because what works is going to be different based on different patterns. There's different buying patterns. There's no such thing as a one size fits all monolithic sales force. It's ridiculous that we st- we still talk that way. It's 2018 people. <laughs> Yeah. And um, when we start to I- embrace a more federated uh, model, uh, a more uh, egalitarian or libertarian type model that says, let's build uh, integrated teams around supporting customers, what yeah. we're going to find is that we're going to need to integrate a concept. We're going to need to learn how to collaborate. We're going to need to learn to reorg, not to where it's just individual people, it's teams. Then yeah. we're going to need to figure out team-based processes and learn how to work it. And then we're going to need to focus on the technology that uh, manufactures that process or scales that collaboration. Mm. Today, very few companies are looking at that. They're throw- they're saying, hey, let's throw AI at it, or let's throw this tool at it, let's throw that tool at it. And it just doesn't work. And it hasn't been working. And it's it really hasn't ever worked. So we need to, we, we need to have a, um, a come to Jesus, uh, I guess, as an industry there. And I think it's going to happen in the next five years. Yeah. This focus on process, you know, f- process first, technology, AI second, you see is kind of being fundamentally something we've got to nail down. T- Tamar, what, what would you add to that? Yeah. Um, it's just the relevance that we really need to understand what technology is doing. And especially as there's a more and more AI-based solution. So it's no longer true that we define a model and the technology is simply doing what we ask to do it. Now, there's machine learning systems and they evolve what they are doing, which is what they learned over the last couple of years. Right. So it's more and more important that we really, really understand what is this piece of technology doing and what is it measuring. Then we can yeah. have, I mean, there are great solutions out there. Um, if you look at um, lead effectiveness and lead generation qualifications, there are great tools that can create a lot of value for organizations. Yeah. <clears throat> but as enablement leaders and sales leaders or ops leaders, we really have to understand what the technology is doing. And what I currently see is that there are many organizations out there where people don't know what the piece of technology really does. So yeah. there will also be measure a lot of things and we don't really know what is this metric saying? Yeah. What does it mean? And I think we have to really get back to, first of all, we need to understand what we want to measure. We need to understand what is this specific metric really saying and how do I want to use it moving forward? Um, yeah, so these are just the, the two cents to add to technology. Uh, I think it's a, it's a very fast movement, and, um, and we just have to make sure that humanity remains faster than the technology. And I think that's the kind of tipping point to really need to, to be focused on that. And where is it going? I think it's more and more going uh, towards the customer experience and service roles that they were included. So what we see, if we check um, in our data, what's the impact on code attainment on win rates on revenue, just as an example, then you see the biggest impact is usually on code attainment for some enablement. There is that Salesforce productivity on win rate is more Salesforce performance. But revenue, it is not necessarily Salesforce productivity because we all know these wonderful 
deals that come in at uh, December 24th from our CEO. <laughs> and we all want to have these deals, of course, because they make up right the year. That, that the deal brings in the revenue, but it doesn't tell anything about the productivity of the sales force. It isn't where we, we simply have to really focus on what we want to measure. Yeah. Um, so we see more and more service impact and, of course, in the transactional ways and there's more and more online um, buying. So what is what is really what we have to enable, what do we need to measure and how can see the impact. And what we're always seeing, we may we measure way too many lagging indicators, but especially as enablement leaders, we have yeah. to see early on what we're doing, especially if we have minus 12 month sales cycle. We need to know in this quarter when you're rolling out an initiative, we have to see are we going in the right direction. So it is close collaborations with sales managers and operations is really, really important. Um, to measure leading and leading indicators such as conversions mm. to see are we doing the right things. I really put my focus on there because enablement leaders have to survive every quarter. They have to report something positive every quarter to engage their executive sponsors. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, to be able to drive a longer strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like we've got some fun things ahead. Um, I've kept you both longer than I expected, but there was a lot of great information. Any last comments as we kind of leave here? Scott, we'll yeah. give you just kind of a parting word and then tomorrow. So it's more a, a part and concept to draw a contrast. Please. We talked earlier on about the definition of sales enablement. I'm not saying I disagree with, with, with Tamara. What I'm saying is here's a different perspective. Yeah. When, you, when your focus is on the overall revenue and you have a company where a large portion of your deals are coming from your CEO, you have to ask the question, why do we even have a sales force? <laughs> um, and that's, that's what's interesting is what's happened recently is that I've get, been getting a lot of inbound requests and conversations from private equity leaders. And basically, the overall gist is they're frustrated with growth in general. Yeah. And the first question is, what's the difference to, or, or who should do what, sales or marketing? That's sort of a leadoff conversation. And my answer to them is, I don't understand the point of your question. If you want to create value for your investors, your companies need to be creating value for your customers. So we need to be looking at this as a value communications process. No, de- no dissimilar than the global supply chain process that gets us manufacturing. We need to yeah. think about it more strategically. And they always pause and they always say, oh, my gosh, you're right. And this, another question that often comes up is, tell me the difference between sales enablement and sales operations. And my answer is, well, you own these companies. What do you want from them? <laughs> and really what they're after is overall productivity. They want to see yeah. efficiencies. And I think the reason that I, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about it, I don't like to look at quota because quota is an arbitrary setting. And when you go and look at the source of how people create quota, more, more often than not, it's about products and it's about some sort of hedge. Yeah. I like to look at the overall results. And when you look at the overall results, basically 20% of your sales force is driving the bulk of, uh, bulk of your activity and the decisions right. that you make are choking them off. So I, I, I guess it's the point is, depending on where you look at it, I'm not, I'm not saying that we have to not also look at the efficiency of the overall sales force, depending on what permission you have to attack. I'm just saying, look at the difference of lenses based on how you choose to define it and how comfortable you are having those conversations. 
Yeah, interesting. Um, tomorrow, what would you fi- kind of final or parting words here? Yeah, first of all, for sales leaders, they should really understand the concept of sales enablement as a strategic uh, discipline, as an engine uh, that should be designed to drive the necessary Salesforce transformation in the digital age. That's more the bigger part. Um, and then um, if, if you look at it one level um, below, it really starts with the customers. It really starts also in our own language we use in our sales meetings to start with customers. And very often we don't talk about the customer at all, not even about a customer-centric metric at right. all. Um, so if, if I look at the main results of our buyer study, they do 70% define their requirements on their own. 44% define their own solution for they want to talk to a salesperson. And if we ask them, what are your top three resources when you want to solve a business problem, guess what? Only 23% said, yeah, one of my top three would be to talk to a salesperson. What is that telling us? It's telling us salespeople are more or less not perceived as value creating because if they're salespeople, that is a big challenge. And that is what, what my mission is as sales enabler. We really have to change that. So that um, customer-facing profession, whatever their title is, that they can be relevant, valuable, differentiating in each interaction. So that's really the big mission, the big goal behind it. Wow, interesting. All right, well, guys, thanks so much. Fascinating conversation. We're over time, but I wanted <laughs> I to hear both of your opinions. I can tell that. I can tell. I know Scott <laughs> could go on forever, and it sounds like you could as well. So we'll stop it yeah. at that. Wanted to thank both of you for joining. Great content. Hopefully, the audience enjoys it. We hope that you'll enjoy yeah. some of the other sessions during today. Uh, Tamara, thanks so much for joining. Scott, thanks so much for joining, and have a fa- fantastic day. Want more sales secrets? Go to salessecrets.io to receive copies of our latest research and best practice content to help you crush your quota.